You're listening to Real Presence Live. Now, back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area. Heard right here on the RPR Network. Welcome back to Real Presence Live. This is Roxanne Solonen, your host today in the Fargo studio. I don't know if it's as beautiful where you are, where it is here in Fargo, but we've got a sunny, beautiful, late summer day, and uh, it's it's a Good day to be alive. Good day to praise the Lord. And we have with us Father Craig Vachek from the Diocese of Crookston. Welcome, Father. Good morning. Good to be with you. And I'm looking forward to what you have to talk about today. But first, let me ask, how are you doing? I'm doing very well. Yeah, I uh, just moved. I was working out at the University of Mary in Bismarck the last four years. And uh, thanks be to God, I was able to come back to the Diocese of Crookston under the leadership of Bishop Andrew Cousins. And i uh, really glad. So kind of still in transition time, but um, very happy to be home. Oh, what an exciting time, too, to have a new bishop, and uh, oh, he, he's going to be here in September. I'm looking forward to hearing from him, and uh, it's, it's just uh, lots of blessings, I'm sure. So uh, did you, how, how long ago did you move? Uh, just at the end of June into the beginning of July, I uh, started the transition and um, waited for uh, the cathedral to open up. Another priest was leaving the cathedral, so then moved in after that. Okay, well... Welcome back to your post, and I hope it goes yeah. well. <laughs> yeah, it's great to be back to the diocese that I was ordained for. I mean, the, the yeah. time out at the University of Mary was super blessed. So don't yeah. get me wrong; I'm not, I wasn't, I wasn't like happy to leave there, <laughs> right? Um, but, uh, but it was, uh, it was a happiness to come home. So, yeah. Well, God, God keeps you know tossing us around so we can make a difference in different places. <laughs> so, especially you priests, you're always on the move. So. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he does what he wants. <laughs> yeah. Well, the last time you were on, you spoke about your role as the, a national Eucharistic preacher, but you also sit on the executive team for the National Eucharistic Revival, and I know that's a, a prominent theme right now in the Catholic world. And Why don't you tell us a little bit about that team and your work with it? Yeah, so the, uh, the work that I do with the National Eucharistic Preachers um, falls underneath that uh, executive team, so... The preachers, there's 50 of uh, 50 men, pre- priests who were set up to go and, and preach around the country at different conferences and different missions. And that falls under one element um, of what this executive team is overseeing. So Bishop Cousins, as the chairman for the Committee of Evangelization and Catechesis for the United States Bishops, has been tasked to um, oversee the National Eucharistic Revival, which is dominating the Catholic landscape for the next three years, and hopefully through it dominating the landscape over the next three years, dominates Catholic life for the next 50 years, you know, mm. going forward. And that's the hope, is that it, it's not just a, a three-year event or a group of events, but rather a, a new flourishing and a new, a new, a new growth uh, towards uh, what we really should be, which is a Eucharistic uh, people lifting Jesus high wherever he is in the Blessed Sacrament. So anyway, this uh, executive team um, is, was put together. I, I wasn't there at the beginning of it, but I would imagine that it was put together uh, in consultation uh, with Bishop Cousins and those that he works with at the USCCB, uh, other bishops and other staff members of the Bishop's Conference, to, to have a, a forum of people who are able to uh, take in everything that, that seems to be uh percolating things that are kind of coming up around the country, uh, and then to navigate all of those different dynamics so as to um, 
promote the revival in a way that is um, coherent, you know, for the whole country, because you're, you're trying to get a message out to uh, 50 different states um, with, you know, 150 different diocesan bishops, or however that looks like, with 17,000 parishes, you know, so the mm-hmm. messaging needs to be pretty clear to get that to, to the smallest subset. Um yeah, so they're tasked with uh, with getting that that um, that coherent vision out there, but also at the same time listening and paying attention to like well, what's going on on the ground, what is, what are what is happening in the various places around the country, what things are are blossoming up, and how can we anchor and support and connect to that, or where are the places of um, um, just kind of stillness, or you could even say kind of. Um, a quietness that's not of the Lord, like a, a staleness, maybe, mm-hmm. or something, where, where things need to be revived, right? Because this is a revival. So anyway, that executive team, there's about 20 people that sit on it, and these people are incredibly... Um, so I, I'm not saying that I was part of this when I'm saying how great they are, because then I'd be kind of bragging about myself, which is not the case, because I came in kind of late. Um, these people are talented. These people are these people are incredible people. So we're talking uh, professors of theology or or, or liturgy from different universities, or uh, men and women that work in different dioceses and different offices around the country that have been seen to be really uh, excellent uh, and effective in their in their posts, uh, energized for the Lord, faithful to the Lord. Um, people in cultural diversity, people with doctrinal background, people that know how to manage things, business management. You know, you can't just have a lot of good ideas. You have to have executive uh, prowess. You know, so there's a great uh, diversity of people that come together typically monthly on a, on a Zoom call, maybe even twice a month on a Zoom call. Um, but then uh, once, a, once a year they get together in person in Washington, D.C. So I, that's where I just joined them now. Bishop uh, Cousins invited me to come, and, and I think kind of tag along, uh, but it was I think it's more, it was more than tagging along because now I'm, I was assigned to, to sit on it with them, which I'm just super honored to do. Um, so anyway, that's kind of a general background of what they're doing. They're 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 gathering to strategize, promote coherent messaging, and getting resources out to mobilize uh, dioceses, parishes, um, different organizations, apostolates. Uh, family life, you know, at every level, from the highest to the lowest, uh, from top down and bottom up, any way that it can be done to uh, to inspire the survival that it really takes root in the country and, and blossoms up into something really beautiful before the Lord. So I don't want to just focus on the challenges, but I do want to ask you, what are the challenges that are being sort of shared amongst you as you get ready to uplift and encourage Obviously, first you have to kind of deal with, like, what are the obstacles? What are some things that you're seeing in that regard regarding the Eucharist? Yeah, well, with regard to our Lord in the Eucharist, I mean, he, he doesn't have any problems for himself, but we have a lot of problems responding to him. <laughs> right, right. So, uh, um, yeah, there's a lack of faith. I mean, and that's in every age. It's not, that's not something new, but there's a lack of faith. Always there's a lack of faith, people who are not believing. Um, and that's uh, at every level in every in every way, um, and that's that's just been cons- consistent throughout church history. So that's nothing new. So it's not a sign of discouragement. The Lord uh, Himself, you know, preached to uh, a few people, and that grew into lots, thousands of people on different planes. Um, but when He kind of got to to the depths of His teaching. Uh, in particular, let's say in John chapter six, a bunch of people laughed because mm-hmm. they just didn't believe it. Or um, 
his, one of his 12 betrayed him, you know, Judas, or at the cross. Like, his apostles weren't all just clamoring to defend him at the cross. They scattered, you know. So uh, this, this uh, sort of mixed response to the Lord has always been and always will be, because faith isn't something you just... Two plus two equals four, or you go down to the store and you buy it for five ninety nine or something like that. It's this is a, this is a dynamic work of grace and response in the human soul. And we're broken people, so some people will respond, some people won't. Um, and the Lord is clear about that throughout the gospel. So I don't even see that as a, as a as like a, a downside of things. It's just a fact, you know. But right. it is a challenge, right? So so yeah, people don't believe. Um, people don't believe. Um, now I'm just saying some people, I'm not saying all people, but some people don't believe that Jesus is God. Well, some people don't believe God exists, okay? mm-hmm. so it's kind of hard to, to believe in the Eucharist if, uh, if you don't believe that God exists, right. you know? Right. Um, some people believe that God exists, but uh, that Jesus is not God. Right. Okay, well, it's going to be hard to believe that you know, what He has done in the Blessed Sacrament is actually God if you don't believe that He's God. So there's lack of faith there, and then there's lack of faith um, that... That well, no, Jesus might be God, or maybe He is God, but I doubt that He can put Himself in the Blessed Sacrament. That seems too far of a stretch. So that all these different things, uh, a lack of faith, you know, um, is a major, major stumbling block, and it always has been, and it always will be. So it's not a source of discouragement; right. it's rather just a fact of uh, living Christianity in a world that's broken. Right. Um, that would be one. Another would be um, among those who are trying to live their faith. Um, a lot of confusion about truth. Um, so, you know, Jesus is God, but nah, but he's but he's also man, so let's focus on him being man more than he is God, and so he's not really God, so now he's not God anymore. It's like, okay, that's confusing. That's, that's tough. We don't want to hold that. Or, um, no, the, the bread and the wine is, you know, it's still kind of bread and wine, and it's, uh, it's not really God, but it's like a like a, it's a nice gesture uh, of God or something. Well, that's confusing. It's wrong. It's erroneous. Um, so it causes confusion. That, and that's ha- that's happened. And it happens in every age of the church. So again, it's not something new, uh, but it is something that's resurfaced. And um, and there's a lot of confusion about it. So that's difficult when when you say we want to have a Eucharistic revival and lift up Jesus in the Eucharist. And some people's response is like, "Well, I don't even believe that He's God," or "I don't even believe that that's." that the Eucharist is God, so I'm not really that into it. Um, mm-hmm. And then there's just all these other things that are vying for the attention of the faithful, which, again, is, is nothing new, um, but sports and other aspects of culture and um, the excitement of uh, Hollywood or whatever it might be, or the isolation of social media. I mean, all these things that uh, that take place, they're just, they're just facts. I don't, but there are challenges. There are things to pay attention to um, for the people on the executive team to... Uh, to see, like, how are we going to reach these people, and in what way do we need to reach them so that they can respond anew, afresh, uh, to this to this invitation from the Lord to believe in Him, that Jesus is God, that there is a God, that Jesus is God, and that Jesus, who is God, has placed Himself in the Eucharist, so the Eucharist is God. Uh, to get that across, in a way, uh, is, uh, is the task at hand. Mm. I love that you brought up John 6, because I remember being at an event and met some nice, uh, vibrant converts, and I said, what What was it that converted you? And they said, John 6. You know, and it was just like, <laughs> yeah. that's so cool. So, yeah. um, well, we are going to have a little break here, so I'll give you a little bit of a breather, but we will be back after this message to talk more about the Eucharistic revival, which is so needed. So we'll be back with Father Craig Bachuk after this message. Mm-hmm. 
Stay with us. There's more Real Presence Live to come on the Real Presence Radio Network. Do you know that your prayers today can still aid in the salvation of someone who died years ago? I'm Father Chris Alar. God is outside of time. And since he is all-knowing and all-powerful, he knows every prayer you will ever make and has the power to apply those graces to any point in time, past, present, or future. So if you have lost anyone, especially to suicide, and think that they are eternally lost, you can still help them. God can take your prayers from today and give someone grace at the time of their judgment because he forever knew that you would make that prayer and he wants you to help them accept his offer of salvation. So there is still hope. Please visit suicideandhope.com so I can personally pray for anyone you've lost and to get our book, After Suicide, There's Hope for Them and You, which helps with any kind of suffering or loss, not just suicide. I promise it will help. Uh, I remember even during that time, and, and this was uh, during the beginning years of John Paul II's pontificate, and whenever I heard him on TV because he was always in the news, especially with his travels in Eastern Europe, Poland and all, I, I would hear the things that would come out of his mouth and I would go, there's no way this person is not close, closer to God than I am. <laughs> uh, you know. So I always had this sort of secret respect for, uh, for John Paul II. Of course, I never said this to any of my <laughs> brethren friends. You, know? you wouldn't dare. No, of course not. But I... I, I I don't mean to disparage them because they taught me to love the scripture. And interestingly enough, even though they, they do not believe in the real presence of Christ in the sacrament, they had communion every Sunday. And so they really taught me to love the Lord's Supper uh, and to love the scriptures. And so I'm really thankful to them for that. You're listening to Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Join the conversation on our Facebook page or on Twitter. And be sure to like and follow us for more great Catholic content. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Real Presence Live. I'm emphasizing real presence because that is what the Eucharist is. So that's what we're all about here. I love that we're named for the Eucharist because, hey, it's perfect for this revival that Father Craig Vachek is explaining to us father before uh, or during the break we kind of i was kind of asking because as you were describing the thought process and also the challenges it seems so much about thinking but i know that a lot of people have been converted by just being met with god's presence and being seized by that so how do you sort through like i know it's all connected so you shared a little bit about how all those things are connected so I want to. I want the, our listeners to hear what you just shared with me personally. Yeah, we'll take the behind the scenes footage and bring it bring it forward. All right. Yeah. Well, the uh, so, I mean, the human person. This is we're not going to go too far down this philosophically, but the human person is uh, a coherent unit, right? So, and we have there's certain aspects of us as a human person that um, participate more deeply in. Um, in imitation of who God is, so I mean, like our um, our 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 sense of hunger or something like that. That's kind of a lower part of us. Um, but there's these higher elements of who we are as a human person. So um, the our soul, 
uh, which animates us, uh, has faculties that flow from it. And the faculties that flow from the soul to, to power us as humans in, 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 in uh, imitation of the image of God are the, the faculties of the intellect and the will. And the intellect, uh, the memory and the understanding, and then the will are choosing and are loving. Um, and this, we can say this, it's an imitation of the Trinity, memory, understanding, and will. The human person has these three these threefold faculties coming out of the soul. And so we have that. We should just know that we have that. We have a memory, we have an understanding, and we have a will. Um, and the Lord is going to make use of those, the memory, the understanding, and the will, uh, along with the rest of us. So our senses and our you know, lower, our, our hunger and our thirsting and our seeing and all, and all these things. But these, uh, these interior faculties, these interior senses, memory, the understanding, and the will, I am able to uh, take things into my mind, I'm able to process them, I'm able to understand them. Truth, the illumination of the mind. And I'm also able to take that which I am coming to know, and I'm able to choose and to love, flowing from that, um, the will, the heart, however you want to categorize that. This is a participation in God, and He's going to use these faculties, the memory, the understanding, the will, to convert us to Himself. That's what He's going to do. So, um, it's it would be erroneous to think um, of them in isolation from each other and to think that uh, I just need one of those things and I'll just get rid of the rest. So a person, I'll just use kind of crude uh, images here, but a person who says, well, I just need to read more books, and that's all mm-hmm. I need to do. I don't need mm-hmm. to love people. I don't need to blah, 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 blah. I don't need to do imaginative prayer and have mental prayer or anything like that. I just need to read books. So they're just like the intellect is everything. Well, it's not. I mean, it's beautiful, but it's not everything. It's supposed to lead to other these other elements. And so, uh, or a person who just says, "Well, I just need to like feel God all day long," and then that's all I need. I don't need anything else. Like, well, that's kind of strange, actually, uh, because you're actually supposed to know Him, not just uh, feel Him or something right. like that. It's not just an emotional reality, but all these things need to be tied together. Right. Uh, the memory, the understanding, and the will. And so we need to do the revival to come back to what we're up to with this Eucharistic revival. We need to meet people where they are, not just like socially and geographically, but also who they are in their essence as a human. We need to we need to capture their imagination, probably through videos and uh, dynamic presentations and big events, blah blah blah, whatever the thing might be. We need to capture their uh, intellectual capacity through those serious resources. Uh, that take them deep on, uh, on pondering the truth and error and how to na- navigate that. And we need to capture the hearts of men and women and children uh, through uh, encounters uh, of prayer and adoration and uh, praise and prayer, uh, all these different elements uh, where people can come in contact with the living God. And it's going to be through all of the different faculties of the human person, not just one or none. Right, right. You know, as much as we go into the depths of this, there are probably some listeners out there who are questioning the real presence or don't understand or have have never really bought into it or at some point lost this, that, that faith that it is truly Jesus. What would you say to them right now? Well, it depends on who they are. Right. Uh, so, if, <laughs> so if this is a... Well, I'll just I'll just run through a couple of situations. If there's a person out there listening who is uh, not a Catholic, uh, they are a let's say a Lutheran or Methodist or Presbyterian or any of the uh, Protestant denominations, they will resist the Catholic teaching. They will they will hold to different degrees uh, various elements of 
the Lord's Supper and uh, the presence of Christ in various ways, however they might put it. But they will resist the Catholic teaching. Um, and a lot of times uh, they resist it, and I'm not trying to totally stereotype all of this, but here's a common one. The common one is there, it's just simply not possible that Jesus could be present in what is bread and wine. It's just simply not possible. Like, it's just not possible. Well, or there's Catholics that think the same thing. Catholics that are like, well, that's just, that's a pretty high thought that somehow Jesus is in the Blessed Sacrament, that Jesus is in the bread and the wine, or however, that Jesus takes over the bread and the wine. Or like, this is a pretty common thing. It's like, no, that, that can't actually be God. That, that has to remain bread and wine, because it tastes like bread, and it tastes like wine. It smells like bread. It smells like wine. It feels like bread, and it feels like wine. All right, so this is, this is a pretty typical um, rejection of the teaching. Um, because it's almost, it's, it's, it seems almost impossible that Jesus could actually be there. Well, I never engage people at that level first. Because if they, what they need to do first is to understand who Jesus is. Because if Jesus is who we say he is, then it's definitely not impossible for him to put himself mm-hmm. in the Eucharist. So do they believe, do you, do you believe, listener, do you believe that Jesus is united to God, that Jesus is, in fact, God, God incarnate in the person of Jesus. Do you believe that? If you believe that, then what you're believing is so absolutely crazy and magnificent, because what we're saying is that the invisible, all-powerful, unseen, eternal God now is seen, able to be touched, and living in time. Mm-hmm. That's that's crazy. Mm-hmm. That's crazy to think that. And every single Christian who confesses the Trinity and the Incarnation believes that. They believe that God, who is unseen, unchanging, uh, unavailable to us in a way, it lives in light, inaccessible, the Scripture says, that He actually took on flesh in the person of Jesus Christ, walked on the earth, talked, saw people, did things, died and rose from the dead. That's crazy. Yeah, I was going to say the resurrection is crazy, too. I mean, right? Yeah. So Christians are crazy already, and I mean crazy in like quote-unquote, because it takes real faith to believe this, and we do. So if I believe that the God who can't be contained in anything because he's infinite and ineffable, he can't be contained in anything, somehow was contained in a six-foot, two-inch person, human body. If I believe that, which we do, then why, why could I not believe that the infinite, uncontainable God who put himself into a six-foot body can't even put himself into a six-inch body? I mean, like, why? Mm. Like, is it, is it more crazy that the infinite God had put himself into a human body than to put himself into grass or a tree? I mean, it's not more crazy. It's actually mm-hmm. not crazy at all. If he's done it already, he can do it again. So, uh, and we see it in Jesus himself. He changes water into wine. Do people believe that? They believe it. They say, yeah, he did it. It was a miracle. Guess what? If God, who's uncontainable, contains himself in a body, and he says that he can change substances from one thing to another, and then he says, with bread and wine, this is my body, and this is my blood, then I get to the Eucharistic teaching, because now their faith has to be expanded to contain that he can do whatever he wants. Right, right. You know, as, as if my faith has been, if my faith has been expanded to believe that he can do whatever he wants, then when he says, "This is my body, this is my blood, eat my flesh, drink my blood," well, then all I have to say is, 
the same God who can do whatever he wants. He said it here, so I'll believe it. As you're talking, I was, I'm literally just like a, just steps like a block away from our adoration chapel here in Fargo. And, <laughs> and, and I was just thinking, I just want to invite anyone, like if you're struggling with your belief, if you're Protestant and you just have never bought into it, or if you're Catholic and you've lost the faith in that or never had it, come to an adoration chapel. They're all over the United States. Come in and sit and just dare God to, to reach into your heart. You know, I mean, he, he can handle it if you don't believe it. Just sit there for an hour and, and see what happens and come back another time if, it, if, if, if your heart isn't stirred. You know what I mean? I mean, sometimes I think we just have to just give it a try and, and also open your heart to the possibilities. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I know that we don't have much time left, and I want yeah. to get some information across to yes. people. Um, I want everybody in the world to go to EucharisticRevival.org. EucharisticRevival.org is the main online hub for everything for the National Eucharistic Revival. What happens there is you can see everything that's happening over the next three years on the, the diocesan year, the parish year, and the National Congress with the commissioning of the uh, Eucharistic missionaries. You can find out more about all that there. You can get um, you can get enrolled in the weekly newsletter. That's at EucharisticRevival.org. You can get enrolled in the weekly newsletter. There's new content coming out every week with more events that are being promoted around the country. That's the best place to stay in touch. And we're trying to build that up to multiple million membership so as we get ready for the National Congress in 2024. So that's on EucharisticRevival.org. Also there, there's teachings by Bishop Cousins and others on the Real Presence. It's fantastic. Also there, you can sign up to be a prayer warrior during this entire revival. Also there, you can find out more about the Congress. Also there, you can do all these things. That's EucharisticRevival.org. It's all there. It is a treasure of a website for everything happening over the next few years. And locally, uh, the Diocese of Fargo, I'm sure you're promoting it a lot, is having uh, a Eucharistic Congress mm-hmm. coming up in September. Uh, Bishop Cousins is going to be there. The, the relics of Carlo, Blessed Carlo Cutis are going to be there. Uh, so that's coming up. And then the Diocese of Crookston uh, is hosting a Rosary Congress, a Eucharistic Rosary Congress. It won't be as large scale as the one in the Diocese of Fargo, but that's going to be October 7th and October 8th. You can find out more about that at the Diocese of Crookston website. There's a whole bunch more, but I think we're running out of time. Wonderful. Well, that's a, a great resource to send people, because I was going to ask you, what can people expect? And that you just answered that beautifully right there. Are you going to be here in Fargo for our, our Congress? Oh, yeah. Wonderful. Well, then we'll, I'll see you then and there, Father. I'm looking forward to it. Look forward to that. That'll be great. All right. Well, thank you for your passion for the Eucharist, and thank you for being on with us today. Have a wonderful day, and uh, yeah, say some prayers for us. We will pray for will you. Do. God bless you all. Thanks so much. You bet. Take care. And up next, they're here to help you build a foundation for your marriage and family. We'll dive into this more on the other side of the break, so stay with us. This is Real Presence Live, where the focus is not on the evil around us, but on conversion and mercy through the good news that is always good. We're local, engaging, and live on the Real Presence Radio Network. 